At RCR, we're on a mission to revive honest media, to report on critical censored stories, and to hold those in positions of power to account. But to make this happen, RCR needs to grow, and grow fast. For that, we need your support. Our Foundation Members Club is now open. Join us today and play your part in bringing back media you can trust. Learn more at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash members and see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. Welcome back to Counterculture here on Reality Check Radio with Marie. And as we do this time every Wednesday morning, good morning, Marty. How are you? Good morning, Marie. I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. I'm trying not to be distracted by my cat, which is right outside the window wanting to come in. But other than that, I'm great. Anywho, gosh, there's been a lot going on since we caught up. And we kind of knew there would be. I thought we could kick things off first, though. Just a few words on the whistleblower data and the like. Uh, I know Paul is covering it extensively, so is Peter Williams. So, Mm. you know, feel free to catch up with them. And Peter caught up with Andrew Bridgen on Friday. And uh, Steve Kirsch was, yeah, it was Monday. So we've gotten around to it yet. Yeah, so there's been a lot, a lot moving and shaking. But yes, that data is out there. It's a very, very movable feast in terms of a story. And I think one of the biggest things for me, just looking at it, is the importance of, you know, making a list and checking it twice and uh, making sure you decide properly who's been naughty or nice. That's Yeah, we've, we've got all these sayings, don't we, that we lose track of the origin of them. And, and when I was watching the start of that interview, because I, I couldn't get through it, too much uh emoting too much emotion for me to have with my statistics so it's it's uh the way some people feel about pineapple and pizza for me i like my stats ice cold mm. and i like them verified and i like them with a good chain of custody and uh mm. I-, I like for them to be picked over by experts and compared to overseas data but what i thought about watching that was loose cannon Mm. And we kind of just say, oh, yeah, he's a bit of a loose cannon or she's a bit of a loose cannon in this case. But it pays to remember the origin of that saying, which is if you didn't tie cannons down, then instead of shooting at the enemy, they roll around on the deck, crushing your own team members and generally cutting down your capacity to wage war. Yeah, it is uh, It is certainly going to be a hot topic, um, I think, over the, the not only the coming days, but the coming weeks. And as I said before, you know, we're covering it on breakfast. We're covering it with Peter. Those guys are um, with the backup, but the team that we have behind them will be making sure that whatever we bring to air is, to the best of our knowledge, rock solid. So, you know, we may not be bringing as much as you might like, uh, but that's because we want to make sure that everything is airtight. As uh, what does Cam always say, make sure you check your sources. Yeah, and he's very good at that. And, you know, if we get it wrong, we've got no problem saying so. We'd rather cut out as much of the stuff that might be wrong. The the debate was the wrong debate right off. It was talking about, oh, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. I, I... don't have ego involvement in being right about the data. I want the debate. Mm. I want. I don't want you to say, oh, it's. I don't want stigmatizing of people who bring wrong data. I want it to be fought with convincing arguments and correct data. 
And I think that we've just got to stop infantilizing the New Zealand public with that kind of thing. There's another thing that was very much off that page with Helen Clark. You see that? Yes, about the uh, pause, pressing pause on the knowing Yeah, the it wasn't. Helen wasn't very happy about it. No, there, there was, you know, and, and again, it wasn't, hey, those uh, rules won't infringe on New Zealand sovereignty because this and this. It, it was what she opted for instead was, oh, you'll be cut out of the herd. Um, New Zealand risks becoming an international outlier. There's plenty of things I'd love New Zealand to be an international outlier for. As it officially lodges concerns about an inverted commas minor World Health Organization policy, a move long advocated for by COVID conspiracy theorists. Further down, she said, Clark said to lodge such reservation was a deviation in New Zealand's approach to international institutions and made it an outlier. In international opinion, it will raise questions as to whether New Zealand is buying into conspiracy theories about international law and organizations, and that's extremely concerning and quite damning for New Zealand's reputation. Who gives a toss, Helen? You know what I'd like to talk about? This isn't a theory. I'd like to talk about how the major donors to the WHO, and this leads to them determining the policies of the WHO, are pharmaceutical companies. That troubles me. Hmm. Any move by those guys, by Gavi, by Gates, to have a lever that they can pull and suspend our sovereign rights, I think needs rigorous debate and yeah. to see it brushed aside as as uh, the work of the fevered minds of conspiracy theorists mm. is uh, not comforting. Over the weekend, I watched an interview with trig- the trigonometry lads, so Constantine Kisson and uh, Francis Foster, and they were interviewing Tony Abbott, Budgie Smuggler Abbott. Right. It was fantastic. It was really good. But one of the things he talked about was in regards to the pandemic. And he was very open, as he said. They've had all of this pandemic planning and sort of wargaming and what to do in a pandemic, not only over years, but decades. They had the the playbook. And then all of a sudden they throw the playbook out and they pick Mm. up this other model at the whim of, oh, drumroll please, the WHO, and pretty much nearly every Western nation followed. So for those who say that, oh, no, this is just uh, conspiracy theorists or people who are overreacting stating that we will not be giving up our sovereignty to the WHO, well, even if we didn't give up our sovereignty to the WHO, we do really have a rather persistent problem to actually follow where they lead. Yeah. And I mean, Robert Kennedy did a great interview with Corbett in the Corbett Report, where he said that they'd wargamed this on multiple occasions. And the focus wasn't on solving the problem. The focus was on how to use it as an opportunity to pivot Western democracies into more authoritarian regimes with the help of the media and social media companies. Yeah, and that's all documented and happened. You don't need theories. No. So it's interesting what you were saying just before about Helen's Helen Clark's uh, comments in terms of this making New Zealand an outlier. I a lot of irony. I had a lot of irony in the weekend's papers, and that in itself is yet another wrinkle to that because one of the things that 
that there's been a lot of pearl clutching, lots of hand wringing, lots of bleeding about a no honeymoon period. I have to say for Christopher Lux, and no, no, they've just they've gone straight into absolute panic mode. And one of the things, obviously, that they're really upset about is the scrapping of the new tobacco legislation, which was one of the last things that Jacinda Ardern announced before she decided to kick up her heels in Harvard. I don't know what your thoughts on this. And there was a lot of things covering this. A lot of people covered this. And I'm going to read you um, Shane Tapoe, that opening paragraph from Shane Tapoe. My health care challenge to Shane Retty. First, do no harm, says the Hippocratic Oath. I wonder if these words are ringing in the ears of the newly minted health minister, Dr Shane Retty, as he sits at the cabinet table, part of the government that's planning to increase the smoking and raise money to pay for tax cuts. Mm. Oh, the irony. Well, there's even more irony further down where he says, this isn't about numbers. It wouldn't matter if it was just one of our young people who will get cancer and die because of this policy. It would still be morally wrong. It would still be indefensible. And it is an immorality that National is preparing to force on all of us. Hmm. Mm, exactly. <laughs> I, I know. I know. This is the really interesting thing. And I, and I haven't mentioned this for a long time, and I'm going to mention it again because it's something that you and I have talked about. And I have talked about it, I think, last time in regards to gang patches. This is my barn door theory. Because mm. here's the thing with a barn, door, a, a barn door is it can often swing both ways, right? And this is why I'm happy that they've sc- scrapped this uh, smoke-free legislation because that legislation made New Zealand an absolute outlier in the world. The reduction mm. of nicotine levels, and then the inability to uh, the prohibition to sell to anybody born uh, before two thousand and eight uh, to to be able to purchase smoke uh, tobacco yeah. products. Now, the thing that cracks me up with all of this is the ones that are absolutely screaming from the rafters about how this is just affecting the youth, and uh, particularly Māori and Pacifica, and they're jumping up and down and they're yelling and screaming are the same people that were at the forefront of wanting to legal, or decriminalise or legalise marijuana. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the, the other, I made this point uh, last week, and it, it bears repeating. They've got to stop using legislation by the PR roll-the-turds-and-glitter names that um, Little Miss Showpony gave things. You know, so we're scrapping smoke-free legislation. People just hear we're, you know, abandoning the idea of smoke-free. smoke-free it's like exactly. We're, yeah, we're we're scrapping the the fair pay agreement, mm. and all people hear is we're scrapping fair pay. You know, they'd be better off saying, "Hey, we don't think it's practical to have a law where thirty-seven-year-olds smoke and thirty-six-year-olds don't." Our and Shane Retty said this pretty clearly. You know, our, our focus is on reducing smoking, but yeah, we think this is bad legislation. We're going to have another my, look at it. And my issue as well is that, you know, smoking rates in this country have been steadily falling for years. You've got one very small group now that are just they, they're sticking, and they're always going to stick. You're going to get that in every society. But to actually force them legis- legislatively and not to not to be able to smoke, I think, is actually a really blunt instrument, and it sets a really dangerous precedent. Because what then? Because once you've set the precedent and saying, right, well, we're going to do this with smoking, what are they going? Are they then going to decide? 
certain alcohol, alcohol still creates problems. We're going to say that all beer now has to be at half the reduction. Wine needs to be at half the reduction and no one under a certain age can purchase alcohol products because mm. if you've done it for one, you can do it for another. And all this does is it just expands, it just expands that authoritarian control. And I don't get me wrong. I'm a, I hate smoking. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. I never had the desire to smoke a cigarette. I don't like being in smoky environments. I understand all of those things. But at the end of the day, there is a certain level of personal responsibility. And I think we would be much better placed to work on alternatives, other cessation models to get people to stop, whether that be nicotine replacement or hypnotherapy or what or counselling, whatever it may be. Alan Carr's easy way to stop smoking. I I used to carry on about this quite a lot back in the days when I was a journalist. I guess I still am a journalist. (laughs) I had smoked. I quit reading Alan Carr's easy easy way to stop smoking. And I I spoke quite a lot about how the only uh, technique that the government used was uh, patches and gum which I argued was a bit like giving alcoholics vodka enemas. It sort of just kept the addiction going, whereas uh, Alan Carr's method basically convinces you that you don't get anything out of smoking and you watch the um, watch the trigger and it's it's basically cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, but very effective. If you talk to people who've stopped smoking, that's of, often how they've done it. Mm. So it's interesting that they were clutching onto that. They were clutching onto the WHO element and then of course the other thing that they were getting very very hit up about is this is the public interest journalism fund yeah the ladies doth protest too much oh do they what do they how dare you imply that that hundred million dollars in full rack price advertising made our editors somewhat reluctant to criticize the government who was talking about how New Zealand on air was absolutely apolitical and didn't uh, force journalists to say anything? Oh, it Siri absolutely and Taylor. forces them to say things. Siri and Taylor. Yeah. yeah. Forces them to uh, say that New Zealand's a racist country that um, systematically disadvantages Māori and forces them to take a stand in a certain direction on climate change. It forces them, forces all sorts of things. And this is all fed into, I guess, an idea that a lot of people have that media is too far left and it's too in bed with the government. There was that um, brilliant uh, bit of polling that David Farrar did on the political orientation of New Zealand's journalists the Worlds of Journalism study asked a number of interesting questions on New Zealand journalists. Oh, this was back in uh, September the 13th last year. The aspect of most interest to me was their self-professed political views. The results are left of centre, 81%. Right of centre, 15%. And of the 81 who said they were left of centre, 20% said they were hard or extreme left. There's your problem right there. You're out of touch with New Zealand. Mm. And that's the thing with the public interest journalism fund, because if they had, if you'd just taken the uh, active promotion of TTT out of it, because not all of it was stories based on that, but if it was something in that direction, you had to go there. It's essentially, as I said in uh, Kiwi Farm today, they were given a whole bunch of feed to tell stories that no one wanted to hear. 
But when you're getting to the tune of, I think, like NZME and stuff were both somewhere in the tune of $10 million, NZME is the only one that's posted a profit. Everyone else has been in pretty dire states from a financial point of view. And if you're able to cobble together anywhere between three and and $10 million, which for all these legacy media companies, these are the sorts of numbers that they've been drawing down, to tell these sort of stories that in most cases are relatively benign and really have very little relevance to anything or anybody other than whatever it is that they're centering on. But you know that you're going to be getting that money and you go, you can keep those people in work and you can put some column inches on the page. Well, you're certainly not going to upset and bite the hand that feeds, are you? Well, I mean, as I said before, there was $100 million in government advertising as well around COVID, wasn't there? Some, something yeah, like that. At full rack rate. Full rack rate. So that, and you could, uh, the Media Insider in the weekend paper uh, talked about that Media Insider revealed in July that TVNZ is expecting a bottom line $15.6 million loss for its 2023-2024 financial year after two years of profitability. Why could that be? Yeah, the exception is taxpayer-funded RNZ, which is enjoying the benefits of a $25 million annual funding boost courtesy of the previous Labour government, which hasn't influenced them at all. No, not at all. Not at all. No, absolutely not. And then speaking of TVNZ, and then you did you have wee Matty McLean. Did you see wee Matty McLean talking to Chris Bishop and... God, he popped his plug out, didn't he? Oh, Kieran McNulty. Gosh, he, oh, he had a bumblebee up his butt. Didn't he what? Oh, that guy's eyes give me the creeps. He was not happy. He was not happy. And, of course, though, he was very upset about uh, Winston with this claim. And they have to admit, fair cop to Chris Bishop. Chris Bishop was like, oh, well, Winston will be Winston. He didn't throw Winston under the bus. And then the thing that I thought was so telling, when Matty McLean, he said, but the, Peters is claiming that, you know, this is a bribe. It is not a bribe. To which Bishop responded something along the lines of, well, actually, that's what most people think. And actually, he's right. I just I dug up from 4th April of this year, uh, the AUT Research Centre for Journalism, Media and Democracy. They do a trust in the media survey. And in 2023, general trust in news declined from 45 to 42%, continuing a downward trend that was already evident in 2020 when the first survey was conducted. However, in 2023, the trust in news people consume themselves increased from 52 to 53%. For the first time, the survey asked about news avoidance and found news avoidance in New Zealand at a very high level when compared with internationally. You know, it was so funny. I had a conversation with somebody that we both know uh, last week when I was at a function, and we were talking about the conversations you have with people when you're out and about, you know, you meet someone for the first time and you're generally chit-chatting. You're wanting to see if they, you have common threads in terms of how things are going in the country. And he said one of the questions he always asks, oh, did you see XYZ story on the news this week? And if the person replies, oh, no, I don't watch um, the news or follow anything, he thinks, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the test. And it is, it's getting like that, isn't it? It is people have had enough. Well, they, they, they did that other survey and it turned out that uh, ladies who vote Labour are the most trusting in the press, closely followed by national voters. So th there is an audience still who 
believe that. And, and unfortunately, it's enough to vote in government. So you can safely marginalize anyone who asks questions or who wants debate uh, by just saying, oh, they're stupid conspiracy theorists. And enough people will go along with that to still allow you to vote in a government. But, you know, then Winston Peters. Mm. That's really, really bothering them. Oh, it's completely bothering them. It is but absolutely it, bothering them. I've actually spoken to a number of people that aren't necessarily on our page just in this last little bit. And some are annoyed with Winston because they fear that he could be bogging down or slowing up progress with the current coalition government. I actually don't think it's the case at all. I th- I actually, just just the reaction that I saw with Chris Bishop, I think they're actually quite happy to let Winston roll with all of this because in a way it's almost putting a shield up, keeping the media distracted on Winston and Luxon and the team are rolling their sleeves up and getting on with the 100-day plan. Yeah, I mean, Heather Duplessy-Allen was one of the few journalists who, although she's... Uh been huffing and puffing a bit herself. She did acknowledge, she said, judging by the media outrage over his attacks, it's quite apparent many have not registered generally how unpopular we are and specifically how much unease there is about the $55 million journalism fund he's calling a bribe. There is a larger, more rational crowd, this is who Chris Bishop was talking about, who may not agree with the exact allegation, but will certainly agree with the sentiment. It says a lot that neither Luxon nor David Seymour would defend the fund. Both said it had a perception problem. It does. Defending the taking of money and being outraged at Peter's allegations makes that perception only worse, Matty McLean. I added the Matty McLean at the end of that. There is that funny characteristic of human nature where people don't get as cross as they should about being lied to. Well, I think it's because they've been conditioned not to, though. When you have been gaslit and lied to so much in the last four years, it kind of wears, it's a bit like battered wife syndrome, isn't it? If you will indulge me, Marie, I'll read I'll read out uh, a Hannah Arendt quote from oh, The Origins you know of No, I'm Health fond Unit. of a Hannah Arendt quote. Well, in an ever-changing, incomprehensible world, the masses had reached the point where they would, at the same time, believe everything and nothing, think that everything was possible and that nothing was true. Mass propaganda discovered that its audience was ready at all times to believe the worst, no matter how absurd, and did not particularly object to being deceived because it held every statement to be a lie anyhow. The totalitarian mass leaders based their propaganda on the correct psychological assumption that under such conditions, one could make people believe the most fantastic statements one day and trust that if the next day they were given irrefutable proof of their falsehood, they would take refuge in cynicism. Instead of deserting the leaders who had lied to them, they would protest that they had known all along that the statement was a lie and would admire the leaders for their superior tactical cleverness. Mm, very much so. And there's a lot of, I mean, look, that sums up a lot of politics, really, but it certainly sums up politics here right now. And there's no honeymoon period whatsoever for this government. I mean, now, speaking of conspiratorials, the, our, the most conspiratorial of them all, well, seeing conspiracy theorists wherever they look is, and I did actually have to screenshot and send you most of these, was um, Charlie. We haven't, our Charlie's been very quiet. Very quiet, but Charlie was back. 
He was yeah. back. And Charlie was busy in the post this week. Uh, we got a mention in one form or another, I think, in three different stories. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, the first one is, is, what is Winston doing? Wrestling can give us a guide. Charlie thought he would start with a wrestling metaphor for the beginning of this particular article, particularly for fans of 1990s wrestling. Was Charlie even born then, do you think? I'm not as obsessed with Charlie as I am with Andrea Vance. Oh, we're going to get on to Andrea in a minute because the pitch changed. I had to send you that because I was very excited by that. I, uh, I like a new photo. I do, yeah, she <laughs> looked very authoritative. But anyway, back to Charlie. Uh, so Charlie, this was his analysis. It was very serious from Charlie. And he was wanting to uh, compare um, what Winston was doing as he was like the undertaker, if you remembered uh, superstars of wrestling from back in the day and The Undertaker. He likened Winston Peters to The Undertaker. But this is what I like, love. Peters sincerely dislikes the media. He's a politician. It would be strange if he didn't. But he also needs the media, which is why he complains he didn't see journalists enough during his campaign. Most politicians grit their teeth and complain about the dynamic in private. Peters is instead doing the equivalent of The Undertaker's Boomstone pile driver, a dramatic finishing move made to look like it had been brutally maimed his opponent, even though they're laying on the mat uninjured. Mm. Mm. Now, the interesting thing about that, though, is that Winston did get very, very little coverage for the longest possible time. And it wasn't until I think he breached about four or four and a half percent in the polls that all of a sudden they started paying attention which is quite interesting. He then goes on to say, the need to do this largely stems from the support base Peters cultivated for the election. Earlier this week, Peters discussed his media comments on interviews on the platform and Reality Check Radio, the broadcasting arm of Voices for Freedom. They were his chosen media platforms during the last election. RCR in particular was a safe space and he would answer softball questions from interviewers thinly disguising their admiration as he's been interviewed by hosts eight times since September. Journalism is critical to, to democracy, Peter said in both of those interviews this week, and they are neutral and independent in telling both sides of the story. Sure, many would agree with that. But his choice of venue, aggressively partisan, opinion-driven media that are one-sided, not neutral, and often don't abide by basic journalistic principles is like complaining about forest fires to an arsonist. Now, oh, the projection sur- is strong. I know. Now, what was that survey you just pulled up before? I mean, yeah. hello. 80% plus left-leaning. But I just loved it how it was um, the softball questions and this was a safe space. Um, now, should we discuss how uh, things were for Jacinda? Now, we all know that she was actually quite media shy. She didn't like to give on one-on-one interviews. And there's a reason for that. All of us remember the Derek Cheng that has gone down in infamy. There's a reason why she didn't give those interviews, because she was shit at them. Yeah. Yeah, and not that on top of details. And, yeah, anyone who uh, says something is just difficult to take seriously as a leader of a country, I found. Well, Charlie then went on in the same edition to do then a whole big full expose on the group that got the won the High Court case for the fluoridation. Mm. And they were a sect, according to him, a secretive sect. Yeah, again, again 
I think another thing that outrages people or just tires them with the media is the eye rolling. We don't need that. Just just the facts, ma'am. You know, I'm sort of at a point now where fem- weaponized female disapproval, whether it's eye rolling emojis on Facebook posts, it, it's just lost all its. I'm like a, a honey badger or a, or a mongoose who's who's immune to snake venom. With it, it just doesn't have any effect on me at all. No, it's so fascinating to see this absolute terror and I think that's what it is I think I mean look at it what did I say last week we're going to see a lot more of this and we are um I didn't I didn't actually count any sort of things are getting worse stories but uh not to the the, they'll come they'll come a couple of there were a couple of articles in Sunday Star Times on page 20 and 21 facing page one about Winston Peters and one about Shane Jones and it Mm. actually was approaching some some sort of balance that, mm. that we really hadn't seen prior to that. And I'm noticing that creeping in a little bit, which is very encouraging. And, you know, even there was, uh, they quoted Liz Mellish, who's Tiawa Taranaki Nati Ruanui, and she's the deputy chair of the Federation of Māori Authorities. And she said she'd rather not make too much fuss, agreeing that they are dividing the country and causing trouble feeds into the screaming rhetoric. We've got to go opposite. We have to work with the government, whoever they are. We're always activists because we're always fighting for the rights of our people, so that won't change. Change, to me, has always been about equity. Interesting. Māori have always come from the bottom of the heap, pretty low expectations, but the very joy of what's happening in my lifetime is watching that shift. So it's sort of nuanced somewhat, and then they've got They've got Stephen Franks as well, who talked about, says that it's about time there was pushback and hails the efforts of Peters to confront treaty issues. Everything, the level of initiative of New Zealand workers is suddenly being micro-controlled. There is a general attitude that somehow you can make life costless and riskless if you just have enough rules, he says. When I look through the coalition agreements, I see a number of things that haven't really attracted much attention, but the review of health and safety legislation, that could be huge. And he uh, argues that tetiriti has come to be seen as gospel rather than guidance and interpreted by the judiciary in ways that subvert the rule of law. I mean, did you, did you hear anything like that in New Zealand's media before no. the election? No, nothing. It was always they want to abolish the treaty, basically. Well, that's how a lot of low-information, poorly educated Māori heard it, which suited the rent-seeking leaders just fine. I just hope upon hope that they're going to at least give enough pause to be able to see some of the positives that could come out of this. Like, it's not the end of the world. And and it is, this is this MMP environment. I mean... You know, there's still been plenty of stories of the tail wagging the dog in terms of Winston and this, that, the other, but it's just kind of like, well, you completely forgot that he, you know, he was the one that wagged the tail of your dog in 2017. So you loved him then. Um, well, I don't know what he, what he's, whether he's changed or I've changed, but Shane Jones is probably one of my favourite politicians at the moment. And there was a great story actually by Vernon Small, former advisor to David Parker. So, you know, again, 80% left-leaning. But he, he asked, does he feel embarrassed about the government's direction on Māori issues? 
And he said, no, I don't. I really think that the changes that we're making, we're cleaning the Algian stables of Wellington. It's an allusion to the tasks of Hercules. Good old Shane. The excess of how Tetriti is used, which has become tokenistic, give everything a Maori name. He understands the desire to use Maori names, but the output and impact of those departments for Maori has not improved commensurate with the ubiquitousness of all these names. So, yeah, pretty valid point there, Shane. Mm. I think it's going to be a shock for some Kiwis who maybe are a bit more verbally tired of Maori issues being front and centre when they find out that his views are a bit more nuanced than they'd like because he is he does want to see Maori succeed as I said last week as as we yeah. all do want to see them do better better in school see them fewer of them in prison but I th- I think these um, these guys could lead a discussion that will make things will ameliorate some of this. It was really shocked me when Chris Hipkins said, oh, you know, having this debate is going to be terribly divisive. It's kind of like, oh, right. So your thoughts stifling the debate would bring us together? Your little sausage roll eating. Yeah. You know, actually, uh, they did do a couple of sort of, there was the one other profile piece that I noted and I read that I thought was actually quite good because I didn't want a bit on it was uh, the one on Dr. Shane Ritty. Mm, Yeah. He is um, accomplished. Yeah, he's accomplished, and uh, he he seems to have a good heart. He, he's probably uh, not as cynical as he he should be about the medical council and uh, and the process by which um, these vaccines were approved and pushed on New Zealanders. But you know, there'll be nothing like a full and comprehensive COVID inquiry to pull the scales from his eyes. Hopefully. Mm. And yeah, absolutely. And this is what uh, one of the things that I think would hopefully will sort of work, really. You know, I think it's going to be quite important. Um, and that again is why the COVID inquiry is just so incredibly important because it's getting that data out there. It's, it's like for what's been happening and unfolding in the last sort of five or so days. It's making sure that all the data is collated, it's there, it's, it's analysed, it's discussed. Do you know what's really interesting uh, in the media? Again, you know, a few days ago with the pending arrests and potential prosecution with the whistleblower, is the one thing that I kept saying, they were saying, is spreading misinformation about vaccines being linked to the excess deaths in New Zealand. So does that actually mean you're admitting there are excess deaths now in New Zealand? Just asking for a friend? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the Hatchard reports always good on that as well and uh in his report on the third of of this month uh he quoted shane retty as saying there are many conspiracy theorists out there who unfortunately disseminate harmful disinformation however as minister and as a physician the public can and should continue to have confidence in vaccines i'm reassured by experts confirming that there is no evidence supporting the allegations that have been made no evidence is a big claim shane and Guy Hatchard's comment on this was, so the government feels that we should all be reassured by unnamed experts who say there is nothing to see here without discussing any specific points on the in the data leak. If you have been reading our reports, you will know that there is a great deal of evidence published in reputable journals, including from New Zealand, indicating vaccine harm. 
As a result, we have consistently called for the release of data comparing health outcomes of vaccinated and unvaccinated, but access was consistently denied by the previous government. And that is the pinch point. Mm. If it's if what you say is true, Shane, why are you not releasing the data of health outcomes by vaccination status? Why sit on it if it proves your point? Look, one of the things that I know, and you know this too, having had dipped a toe in the, the medical pond, one of the reasons I think that they don't have it is because they haven't got they aren't able to collate that data. I, I think one of the things that we we forget is I've seen things saying, oh, you know, is this a psyop or is this a conspiracy or this, you know, they're, they're doing this deliberately. And I know you and I differ on some things with this, but I think we absolutely underestimate how deeply dysfunctional our government departments actually are at a lot of things on one hand, and also just how deeply hopeless particular people, bureaucrats, leaders and the like are at executing whatever job that it is that they're doing. And I know your theory on this is, well, are they doing a bad job or actually are they doing a the good job of the job that they're intended to do? Yeah. You but just don't know what the job is. You or just who don't know what the job for. is. Yeah, exactly. But again from the Hatchard report on the 13th of November, he he quotes the OECD report for September 2023 in the first week of October records there were 577 excess deaths, up 17% on the long-term average. That is a result of 155 additional deaths per week, above what you might expect for that for the time of year. Last year, 2022, for the corresponding period, there were 339 excess deaths, 68 per week up 10% on the long-term average. Even this figure was a record. 2023 is 70% higher than that. Are those figures wrong? Well, when I honestly, when I heard the news report around that and they said, you know, spreading misinformation on the cause of excess deaths, I'm like, so yeah. does this mean well, we're What, what is the cause? What is the cause? Hello. I mean, that's that whole thing, you know, just under saying, look, we don't know what caused uh, that young woman to die, but we know one thing, it wasn't the vaccination. And yeah. speaking thereof, I don't know whether you caught, I think, and I'm pretty certain it was the same young lady, uh, there was a story talking about um, her plus two others, the dangers to watch out for sudden uh, death in young women due to the contraceptive pill. Yeah, Gosh, yeah, it's amazing how these are... the 60s, right? Yeah, well, and the, and I thought the one thing I know with the contraceptive pill, having been on it for a very long time, uh, many years ago, is that they, you know, they've changed the formulations for that now. And yes, it is always an ever-present risk, but to have a cluster of three young women pass away, and they're citing that actually it was due to clotting from the contraceptive pill when crickets for years and years previously, oh, it must be that. It must be mm. that. It can't be the other novel treatment that was rolled out in 2021. No, not that at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, he says, this is Guy Hatchard, as you can imagine, behind these 155 unexpected deaths in each one of the recent few weeks, 22 each day, there are personal stories of tragedy. You might have noticed an uptick in newspaper reports of turbo cancers, sudden deaths, heart attacks, strokes, rare diseases, and family tragedies. But whatever is being reported is not even beginning to scratch the surface of what is really happening. The diagnoses and hospitalizations are also rocketing. 
Curiously, no one mentions the vaccine. The explanations offered range from stress to bad luck and everything in between. Mm. Again, I, I'm not a well, I'm not a medical expert. I am not um, saying this is what's happening and it's correct. It's it's always just I want the debate. I want you to oppose misinformation with good quality information rather than uh, stigmatizing anyone who questions the government. Do that media and we'll get along fine. <laughs> they, they seem to be sort of faint glimmers of hope and then they, they sort of get snuffed out. And But it's only been early days, so we'll have to see how, how things transgress. And you never know, the final weather might actually perk them up, hopefully. Well, I, I just hope that they do, as I said last week, get Kiwis some confidence to hit the gas, employ more people, you know, you, they could even say, hey, look, if you're thinking of putting your prices up, please just hold off for a bit. And pe- some people would respond to that. I, I think, yeah, if they make it easier to fire people, then it's easier to hire people. The number of people, as I said, again, that, that you talk to, who, even though they're flat out busy, won't hire someone just because of the potential hassle is New Zealand's productivity problem in a nutshell. Uh, well, tying into that theme, mass pre-Christmas job cuts expected. Uh, yes. so this is from the Herald on Saturday. Uh, it's from Duncan Bridgman. Layoffs are the latest in cutbacks hitting the corporate and public sector. So the first one is head of to- uh, Tomara F- Fresh Food based in Melbourne. I uh, couldn't say how many how many staff were going to be affected. They have currently sites in Auckland, Hamilton, Tauranga and Hastings. And they, their sources to the company and consulting staff with the affairs of mass layoffs before Christmas, as many as 100 could be involved. Earlier this week, billion-dollar global game technology company Unity Software cut ties with Wellington Visual Effects House Wetter FX, resulting in 265 redundancies, although some of the staff may be kept on by Wetter. Meanwhile, dozens of jobs at ultra-fast broadband network operator Chorus have been cut as company advances into new operating model, and the, the company has confirmed also to uh, Mitre 10 in Auckland, so in Mitre 10, Mega in Albany, Newland, Walkworth, Whangaparaua and Silverdale have announced up to 33 jobs there. So there's, there is a, there's a lot of volatility and I hate, I mean, I hate seeing this sort of stuff before Christmas, but having been there and done that, I mean, it's, these sorts of things never change. Like I know when I was in radio the first time around in the 90s, gosh, I think in the comp- I was with the company for five years and I went through four redundancy rounds in right. five years. Yeah, no, I mean, my so aunt was a, was a, worked for the, my, my dear late aunt Jennifer worked for uh, the Ministry of Transport and at a funeral, all these public servants talking, you know, how she was a mother figure and, and and she just, I mean, she just lived this gliding on existence, but she was in constant fear of, of, of being redundant. You know, worked, you know, really long hours, and they, they work hard. It's just often they're fools' errands. And I think the other thing is that each each public servant that's thoughtlessly hired is effectively one of those people who'd really help in the in the private sector. The private sector can't hire because um, they're getting gouged for tax. Mm. It comes at a huge cost. It so does. so does taking tax off people and giving it to other people is a huge drag on it. So 
Yeah, um, there, there, was, there was another glimmer of hope I saw. I don't know if you caught the interview with Genesis Energy's chief executive, Malcolm Jones. I only glanced. Again, a, a bit of creeping truth in the paper. He, he was basically saying that the zero carbon idea is unworkable because you need some fossil fuels and energy generation for spikes. You, you've got to smooth out the um, the gaps when there's no wind or not enough sun or not enough water. And he, he said, so are you better to have more solar and wind and be 95% renewable and accept that for 3 to 5% of the time you need some gas to back things up? Or is everyone prepared to accept rolling blackouts because you're ruling out different solutions? Again, you wouldn't have seen this in the paper before the election. I had never seen anything like this level of reality mm. about just the absolute folly of zero carbon. Sure, you can get to it, but it's it's just quixotic. There's no reason to when, you know, you could rather than spend them, and it's 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 a great upward curve and expense for every percent over a certain percent. You, you get to a point where you, you're kind of like, well, do we want that last 5% or should we use the money to fix the water quality in rivers? Do you know what I found absent from the paper the last couple of weeks? What? Absolute squealing from the Greens or even to Party Māori about, but especially the Greens, very, very mm. little from them in regards to uh, particularly the reactivation of oil and gas. Oh, it looks like they've been going out drinking with Tori Fano. Was that what they've been doing? <laughs> have you have you managed to find this miraculous video that's supposed to be? No, I haven't. And you know, oh. I've. She's. I just find the whole thing just very, very dull and boring. And I just would. I'd much rather wish instead of concentrating on the fact that she's such a booze hag that they would turn around and concentrate on really important issues like massive rate rises. My brother was saying they're talking about another ten or ten percent. I think in the following year, you know, getting their infrastructure sorted. Actually, did you see Stephen Joyce took a swipe at them, Wellington? Oh, so, yeah, and so he should. Where's his uncle? Here it is. Yeah, centralisation is clearly not working, and if it continues, it will get worse. I've lost count of how many regional leaders I've talked to over the past few years who report that their polytech and hospital have completely disengaged from their community as a result of the reforms. The visibility each local region has of these crucial local services and their ability to shape them is now non-existent. So, yeah, we've got an interesting interesting situation where we do need to decentralise, but as it is, local government is a bit of a fool's errand, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It needs and to be I, funded better. I love his little swipe here at Wellington. Uh, Wellington sto Wellington's story is one of spending money on a grand above-ground monuments to itself while not bothering to do the things it most clearly mandated to do, like managing the delivery of fresh water, removing the wastewater, and helping people get around the city in a practical way, including, God forbid, using cars. Yeah, and then there's an earthquake and they try and just get all of the money to f do all the stuff they hadn't been doing uh, from the government on the pretext that it's uh, as a result of a natural disaster. Yeah. 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 The debt, the debt. 
I mean, that, that's that's the really tough thing for this government. Not only are they going to have to try and do a job that the media is not going to skin them for, but they're going to have to do it with $100 billion less over six years. Aren't they? Mm. And it's they never allow for that. They never talk about it. You had David Fisher, yeah, we talked about last week, you know, green with jealousy about the amount of money these um, new politicians are going to get paid as prime minister. And just there was never a peep from them about that inflationary methamphetamine-like debt that old squealer Robbo was chalking up his wins with. Even when he was saying, we've done this and that, it's like, yeah, yeah, you've created an extra hundred dollars worth of debt. And given that, you've done bugger all. Mm. Unbelievable. No, it is unbelievable. Do you have got anything else? It wasn't anything really leapt out at me. I, um, yeah, I just, I am noticing... Yeah, some of those little stories creeping in, and and I, I don't know. I'm, I I hope that the media can get a bit of self awareness, and and I mean, as as always, we're happy to help. It's not that we're anti um, anti journalists. We're anti um, Marxist bullshit. You've kind of become one and the same. The other thing too, I just really want to encourage people as well. If you're wanting to have a look at some, um, it's some stuff. You're looking. I mean, you're avoiding the mainstream papers. I'm sure you are. But if you're wanting to check something out and have a look, do make sure you do have a look at some of the stuff that we have been covering over the last little bit because there's been some great uh, replays that we've got there, and you can actually do that over on the on our replays page. There's some really, really brilliant stuff. So go, make sure you check that out because it just sometimes you need a balm for the soul, don't you? Well, the other thing is the uh, the news bites that come with uh, your foundation membership. And if you read them, you might find uh, a few cynical uh, little additions there from me. Ah, there you go. Spot the Marty jokes. And remember, if you're wondering what Marty's talking about, those news bites come as part of your foundation membership. So do make sure you, um, if you haven't joined that, that could be Christmas present to yourself. Yeah, and if you're a member of the foundation club, you, if you're a foundation member, you get 20% off the merchandise. So, And it's quite a conversation starter. You'd be surprised how many people uh, are out there listening. Oh, I'm always surprised. <laughs> I am totally surprised. I'm always totally surprised because as we've often said, this is you and I, you know, you sitting in in, in the panelled room in yeah. uh, Papamoa and me sitting in, in the bedroom in, in Napier and we have these chats to ourselves, but you forget that everyone is out there. So a huge thank you to everyone that listens because it does make a difference. And, you know, we try and bring you something a bit new every week and uh, some weeks some you know, some weeks are fresher and newer than others, but I tell you what, the rate they keep going. <laughs> oh, there's never, you know. It is hilarious though when we're doing this to to think about what it would be like doing it with producers. Well, we sort of do have producers, I guess, but um to do it for with the huge amount of money that we'd get if we were doing it at Radio New Zealand or Oh, I know. It would be amazing. Well, <laughs> someone powdering my face. Oh no, I, I love the do it on a smell of an oily rag. It keeps yeah. you on your toes. It's great. Right, hey, we've got some feedback. Uh first off, uh this one is from George. Um this I think was in regards 
to the street names. It was what we were talking about last week. Uh, Tainui are petitioning the Hamilton City Council to change existing street names to Māori. Uh, it's actions like this that have caused resentment there. Uh, I love your comment, Marie, about the lipstick. Brilliant. Keep blessings to you all, Marty. And that's from Beth and a big lipstick kiss. Oh, thanks, Beth. Oh, thanks, Beth. Uh, this one's so agree that Ireland doesn't deserve to be landed with Mallard. What a shocker in the placement after... What a shocker at that placement after such incompetence. I really do want him sent back. I yeah. think we do need to set that petition up, actually. I keep and saying Goff. it. We need to do Where it. did Goff end up? Where did oh, that he... Vietnam veteran spitting on little insect-eyed gap-toothed debt running up <laughs> little pinko? He's not as bad uh, as but No, Phil Goff is uh, now working at the High Commissioner of New Zealand in the United Kingdom. There you go. New Zealand yeah. High Commission in London. Maybe um, Mallard, Goff, and Steve Mahare can start a company. Yeah, well, there you go. Mahari's just resigned, hasn't he? Uh, right, to Marie, Marty, and Liz, a great program today. So refreshing to hear your intellectual friend and friendly chatting. Love it, and I'm now so aware of the awful legacy media with its woke propaganda and twisted ideology. Keep it up. That's from Simon. Media Matters, there's definitely a buzz in the air to, in today's Media Matters. Very entertaining and informative and uplifting. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much for that feedback. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll Ooh, one last one from Mike. Mm. Oh, good old Mike. How are you doing, Mike? Good old Mike. Mike. Hey, Mike. Um, hi, you two awesome guys at Eminem. Hey, Mike. You seem to have forgotten that we've got a whole lot of rat tests as well as PPE gear and very well-educated people who got to do all the PCR testing jobs, therefore reducing unemployment and got a certificate to say that they were essential workers. Gosh, you know, I wonder what, yeah, because there was warehouses full of that PPE, wasn't there? Mm. Yeah, warehouses sent it to Gaza. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a young lady on the train from Wellington to Porirua on my way home from the protest one Sunday afternoon told a group of us that it was that the wonderful Ms. Jacinda Ardern had saved the whole country and that she was doing a wonderful job and people like me should be put in jail. Would she still think that? My sister still thinks Jacinda did the right thing and I should keep quiet about my time at the protest because it's embarrassing to have someone in the family who doesn't understand politics and what the country needs in a time of a pandemic. I can't I can't wait to say I told you so. And the inquiry has its days. Cheers to you two, as usual, you two rock Mike. Well thanks, Mike. Yeah, thanks. And I'd refer you back to that Hannah Arendt quote that I read out. It's amazing how impervious people are to the rage that I feel if I get lied to cynically. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Right. Well we'll, we'll do it all again next week. There'll be Thanks Marie. Thank you again, Martin. Greatly appreciate it. And as I said, 2057 is the text number at inbox. Realitycheck.radio is the email. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to, either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.